Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Flick Everett, and I'm Yahoo's senior lifestyle editor. Welcome to the Life Edit podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a different guest editor, and we'll be discussing the top stories of the moment. I love Lifestyle because it covers everything that's interesting and important, where we go, how we spend our time, and how we look after ourselves. And we have never been more conscious of health than during the past year. Today's guest is our health reporter, Alexandra. She's here to talk us through all the latest health, science and medical news. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for coming in. Hi, Flick. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So it's going to be quite a serious topic today because we're going to be talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus. Uh, So before we get into the more unpleasant and maybe painful details, one of the issues that's coming up a lot at the moment is safe travel. So I know we can't go where we like yet fair enough I haven't booked anything but I'm just wondering is there anywhere you're looking forward to going when it's actually safe to do so well I have had a holiday book to Petra in Jordan for well over a year and it keeps getting cancelled and then I get excited because things seem positive and then the dreaded second wave hit so I'm in the process of chasing money for the second time on that one. But I think I'm going to enjoy the holiday all the more when hopefully 2022 I get to go. I hope you will too. It sounds amazing. I've never been there. I'm really hoping, weirdly, to go to a place that is actually currently on the green list, which is Iceland, because I have never been. But I don't feel great about getting on a plane at the moment or any. I can't really afford it, let's be honest. So I'm probably not going to go there just yet. But I have it sort of in the back of my mind for next year because it's sounds gorgeous and also I feel like something about Iceland makes me feel quite cold and healthy as well so (laughs) I don't like roasting on a beach it's not for me so obviously we've had a lot of trouble and pain and difficulty with coronavirus COVID-19 so let's talk about that I mean One of the biggest things at the moment is so much about variants, isn't it? We're hearing a lot about that. So tell us a little bit about that. Have there been variants all along? And, you know, we're just now hearing about the Delta variant and all the others. Or have they recently popped up? They have most likely been there all along, but the surveillance systems weren't in place at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, viruses do mutate. It comes as no surprise to any of the scientific experts working during the pandemic This particular virus, the coronavirus, is what we call an RNA virus. Very simple terms. RNA is genetic material that's like a precursor to DNA. Another example of an RNA virus would be HIV. And they mutate relatively frequently. And they accumulate these mutations that the vast majority are neutral. Some are detrimental to the virus. It's helpful to think about it like survival of the fittest. So the ones that help the virus stick around 
So that could be help it to transmit or help it to evade vaccines or natural immunity. Okay, that's very interesting, because I think for a lot of people, this came as a bit of a shock, didn't it? You know, we thought we were getting back to normal. Everything seemed to be getting back on track. And suddenly it's all about the Delta variant, which was previously known as the India variant. Why did they change that name? Do you know? The World Health Organization recently adopted a sort of Greek alphabetical system, and that was because it's not good to stigmatize, according to a particular country, the so-called India variant that we now call the Delta variant. That was first identified in India, but it doesn't necessarily mean it emerged there. And also, it's important to have names that are easy to pronounce. I mean, the Delta variant was initially called B16172, which is a bit of a mouthful. So Delta variant, it's non-stigmatizing and it's easy to pronounce. And this one does seem more worrying, for want of a better word, in that is it right to think it's a lot more infectious than previous strains that we've had in Britain? Yes, so it's now the dominant variant. I'm sorry to pick you up on this, but there is a difference between variant and strain. Ah. They're not interchangeable. So a strain is when it really has distinct physical properties. It's very distinct from what we call the parent virus. So in terms of the variants, The India variant is more transmissible than the Alpha variant, which emerged in Kent and was previously dominant. And the Alpha variant was more transmissible than that which emerged in Wuhan, China at the end of 2019. And that's sort of former epicentre of the pandemic. So the virus is mutating to become more transmissible. And the problem with that is you maybe don't need to be exposed to as much of the virus to catch the infection. And of course, there is very muddled evidence. Some studies show that the vaccines are just as effective against some variants. Some show it's reduced. I think most experts are generally pretty optimistic the vaccines will still work somewhat. But the vaccines were developed with the original Wuhan emerged variant in mind. And I mean, the Pfizer-BioNTech one, that was approved because it was up to 95% effective at warding off severe disease, which is extremely high. And the efficacy will be reduced, but even if it's just reduced somewhat, it's not that they're now useless. That is very good to know, because I think we all spent so long putting all of our faith into the development of the vaccines. And it was so wonderful, wasn't it, when we found out that we could actually have them. The idea that they may not be as effective is just awful. So I've seen a lot of people on social media uh, mainly seeming to be confused about why they can't go and do what they like now they've had two vaccines. I know not everyone has, but quite a lot of people have now, haven't they? So What is the reason for that? You know, why is it that, oh, well, I've had two jabs. My risk is very low, even with the Delta variant. I just want to go to the pub. I want to have a wedding. You know, why can't they do that now? Well, not everybody is vaccinated. I mean, the vaccination program has been hugely successful, millions and millions of doses, but not everybody is yet immunized. If the Delta variant does increase transmission as much as we expect it does, That could be a real issue for people who are yet to be vaccinated. And it's a bit of a myth that only elderly people or people with underlying medical issues become seriously ill. Unfortunately, people who on paper shouldn't have become ill have died with this virus. And even if you have no symptoms whatsoever, you could still develop long COVID, which are these lingering complications. And I've spoken to a personal trainer in his early 20s who's got extreme fatigue. He's barely able to work or barely able to do anything, to be honest. So it's really important that we take this seriously. We're not yet at a level where it's safe to completely reopen. It's a policy decision about what level that is. I mean, people do die of infections. I know it's you know very stark, but people, thousands of people die from seasonal flu every year. 
and the government makes a decision that can't justify locking down and there's no risk of the NHS being overwhelmed. But in terms of the vaccine efficacy, it's also not immediate. So a lot of people who are hospitalised with the coronavirus are hospitalised within three weeks of being immunised. So chances are they caught it in that sort of interim period. Or perhaps they were asymptomatic with the coronavirus when they went to be vaccinated and the symptoms emerged later. And also on top of that, the vaccines were approved on the basis that they ward off severe disease in the individual. They weren't approved on the basis that they prevent transmission. And the evidence that's coming out now is pretty positive that they do also stem that transmission. But we don't have the same hard data as we do that they ward off severe disease. That's very thorough. And that does explain it very well. And, you know, it's a shame that you can't just go into everyone's social media account and explain that. because It <laughs> would save sure a lot of trouble, I think. So, <laughs> no, I don't think anyone would want to at the moment. Um I mean, what about people who were shielding? You know, we had a whole year or more of people with immune conditions and and people who were maybe having treatment for cancer uh, and others. They were shielding and suddenly they weren't shielding anymore. But does this put them back in danger, even if they are uh, inoculated against, against the virus? Potentially. We need more information about the extent to which the Delta variant evades natural immunity and vaccines and We do know, based on the limited data that's available so far, that it does at least somewhat bypass the vaccine immunity. So it may be a case that people who are shielding have to continue to be very cautious. We do know more definitively that this does transmit more readily. And that is a concern for people who are shielding and otherwise vulnerable. I mean, I have, by definition, severe asthma. So this is something that I have to be cautious about. Many people have conditions like that. But for the time being, I think the policy decision is we're not yet at that level where people are officially told to shield from due to the Delta variant itself. Sure. I mean, the obvious question then, I suppose, is if we return to any kind of international travel or even in this country with the virus mutating as it does, is it just going to keep on doing that until eventually we will get a strain that we don't have any protection against? Or is that sort of doom-laden thinking and it's not actually going to be that bad as far as we know? Well, unless travel restrictions are extremely draconian, they really just buy you time. There will be new variants that emerge from overseas. It is, it is inevitable, unfortunately. In terms of a completely vaccine-resistant strain, I think it's more likely that it will be reduced rather than literally 0%. And bear in mind, there is quite a lot of talk about an autumn booster, and that booster would be based on what's dominant in the country at the time. So right now it's the Delta variant. So even though the original vaccines were developed according to the variant that emerged in Wuhan, the booster would be based on what's dominant at that time. And it is considerably easier to tweak a pre-existing vaccine than to make one from scratch. Thank goodness, because they they were extremely speedy about those vaccines. And thank goodness for science, I often think. But we don't want to have to go back to the beginning and start again. I should just point out as well, we do this with seasonal flu. There are four viruses that can cause seasonal flu. They mutate almost constantly. Seasonal flu emerges in the UK in around November. That's the start of flu season. The vaccination programme rolls out around September to preempt that onset. But the vaccines start being developed in February and scientists predict what variants will be circulating in the Northern Hemisphere based on what's circulating in the Southern Hemisphere because our winter 
is their summer and vice versa. So they make these predictions. And it's a huge surveillance effort. This happens every day of the year that they're tracking these. But it's extremely successful. The seasonal flu mutates. We adjust to that. We live with that infection. And the booster jabs are tweaked accordingly. So most likely we will reach a point where that's what we have to contend with with the coronavirus. This is very reassuring, I have to say. So that brings me on to wondering, are we just going to have to learn to live with it to an extent? You know, once the majority of people are vaccinated, once we have the boosters in our lives as a sort of regular event, how will our lives change, do you think? Will we still be wearing masks in crowded places? Will a lot of people still want to distance rather than hug? Do you think we're just going to go back to normal eventually? Or do you think that we are going to carry some of this careful protection with us into the future? In terms of if we're going to have to live with it, I think most experts are pretty confident at this point that we are going to have to contend with it. Although, like I explained with seasonal flu, it's not as daunting as it necessarily sounds. I think this pandemic has really opened people's eyes to the seriousness of infections. The last pandemic was Spanish flu around 100 years ago. So most people who lived through that are no longer with us. So this is a once first in a lifetime experience for pretty much everybody on planet Earth. And we have become complacent to infections because vaccines are so effective. We haven't really had to live with the horror of infections because we've been vaccinated. But that has made us quite complacent when it comes to vaccines. And now we've seen infections can emerge at any time. They can mutate. Unfortunately, they kill people. Although, you know, the coronavirus is mild in four out of five cases, but we all know that there have been many tragedies. So I think this has opened people's eyes to the importance of hand washing. I think that will continue. Face coverings, I'm not, I'm not really sure what the future of that is. I can't imagine that we're wearing them in supermarkets for the rest of my life. But I think outdoor ventilate, outdoor dining, ventilation, it's just opened people's eyes to the fact that infections are real. They can seemingly come out of nowhere and they can be extremely serious. Yeah, absolutely that. And, you know, all of that is kind of slightly reassuring and also a little bit concerning. So tell us the good news at the moment. I know a lot of people are getting vaccinated and that feels like really good news to me. Like when my parents got double jabbed, I was so pleased, you know, it felt like a huge relief. So there is good news, right, amongst the worry. There is good news. I mean, the peak of the death rate was on the 8th of January. That was more than 1,300 fatalities. And death rates are probably going to rise because we're seeing a rise in cases with the Delta variant becoming so prevalent. Touch wood, maybe shouldn't say this, but I don't think we're going to reach that level again because we have so much more understanding of the virus. We have the vaccines. Drugs have been developed. There's a drug called dexamethasone, which is a steroid. That cuts the risk of death by a third if you're on a ventilator. And it's such an inexpensive drug for the NHS. So it's not all doom and gloom. That's excellent. And if people want to find out a bit more, is there anything they should be reading or watching? You know, do you have any recommendations for finding out a little bit more about what's going on and making informed decisions? So there's a book called A Little Light, 20 Ways the Coronavirus Response Could Make the World Better. So it's like that positive attitude that you were tapping into there. It was written by a range of editors from The Guardian, The Times, The Telegraph, as well as some scientific experts. And it just goes into the ways that once this pandemic has passed, how the world will be better. So, for example, in the US, where healthcare is a bit more sporadic, it depends on the insurance that you have. Some people really have missed out on the medical care that they need. And this could be the sort of real eye opener equalizer to help make that less sporadic, 
Another way is that mental health has been such a big conversation. So many people have had endured loneliness and depression and anxiety as a result of this pandemic. And anything that raises awareness and reduces a stigma is only ever a good thing. So it goes into tons of ways that we will emerge stronger from this. That's fantastic. Unfortunately, that is all we've got time to discuss today. But Alex, thank you so much for coming and telling us all this. It's very reassuring and very helpful to know what's going on from a science perspective. So thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Excellent. Well, if you'd like to read more and keep up with all our latest health news, head to Yahoo Style UK. And next time I'll be talking to another one of our brilliant experts. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more like this, please write us a review and make sure you subscribe as well on your favorite listening platform. And thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.